This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. My name is Kate Moss. I'm usually on Race Talk Live here on CLNS Radio, but today on Psyche to Talk, something else I absolutely love, which is the NFL and football. Well, hello, Patriots fans, and that was our good friend Kate Moss uh, from CLNS Radio. Unfortunately, for those of you who have not heard, uh, Kate passed away earlier this week uh, due to complications from diabetes, and uh, we she will be missed here at CLNS Radio. Uh, Kate was the type of person that was... Always there, extremely bubbly, um, as you could tell by that intro. Um, she stepped in last year and took care of a Patriots post-game show, even though she was a diehard Philadelphia Eagles fan. So uh, from all of us here at CLS Radio to uh, Kate Moss and, and her family, Kate, you will be missed. So if we could just have a brief moment of silence, that would be great. So with heavy hearts today, we will go on and talk about the New England Patriots. I'm your host, Jeff Kane, and this is Patriots Beat. I am joined, as always, by Bobby Kavitsky. You can find us both on Twitter, myself at at BostonFatGuy, and Bobby at at Bobby underscore K91. Of course, follow the podcast at at Patriots Beat. For you Facebook fans out there, www.facebook.com slash CLNS Radio and www.facebook.com slash Patriots Beat. Well, chuckling at my flub right there is Bobby Kavitsky. Bobby, how are we doing today? I'm good. You're just enjoying the training camp is finally underway. It's exciting to see the pads come back on and the boys get back into action. It's nice to see the boys getting back into action, but there is still the cloud of Deflategate. Is it ever going to end? Yeah, it seems like something that's just, it hasn't gone away. Hopefully, hopefully, it feels like we're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. But then again, with how this thing is dragged on, who knows? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm not going to spend the next hour talking about Deflategate. Um, you know, it's it's you look at it, it looked a week ago that it was doom and gloom, four-game suspension upheld by the appeals hearing, and then Robert Kraft comes out swinging, and Tom Brady's legal team comes out sw- uh, swinging. They bring out their uh, emails. They bring out the transcripts. And all I got to say right now is, 
Roger Goodell and the NFL look foolish, absolutely foolish with what I've read. I've read what seems like 10,000 pages worth of crap from the Wells Report to the Wells Report in context to Goodell's 20-page blasting of Tom Brady and now all these emails and the transcripts. Uh, It's just, in my honest opinion, the NFL had absolutely nothing. They went in there to prove guilt um, and not be proven innocent and then proven guilty. They went in there and thought he was guilty to begin with. I don't know how this holds up in a federal court, but you know what? This is the Patriots beat law exam. Yeah, I've parsed through a lot of the information, a lot of the same stuff that you just mentioned. And my takeaway really is this. First off, I'm just going to say it. I do believe that Tom Brady was involved with the deflating of the footballs. But beyond that, just like former head of NFL officiating Jim Diopolis said, this is the equivalent of jaywalking. And just like quarterbacks such as Jeff Blake and David Carr have come out and said, this is a league-wide issue. It's not isolated to just the Patriots. The problem becomes that you have people involved in the Department of NFL Game Day Operations, Mike Kenzel and Dave Gardy, who have strong ties to the New York Jets and axe to grind against the New England Patriots, the Jets' chief rival. And they have taken advantage of their positions of power to withhold information from Roger Goodell in the beginning to you know, help conduct a sting operation against the Patriots on an issue that in the NFL bylaws is a $25,000 fine. And the prior offendants didn't even get that. They just got a memo, a warning. But in this case, it was a sting operation. It was the willingness to compromise the integrity of the first half of the AFC championship game. It was the manipulating of ESPN, who I'll just say was a willful victim, and lying, exaggerating the numbers, manipulating how the story was presented in order to control the public's initial reaction to this, which certainly has you know lasted a long time. It's hard to move on from that first bit of information that you take in especially you know when you hear that a team was deflating the footballs that sounds like a huge deal but then the more that's come out you realize well it's really not that big of a deal and the reason the NFL never cared about this before is because they love the fact that it's conducive to high scoring which is the direction this league has been heading in for quite some time now we've seen them change the rules to help produce games that are more shootouts than anything. And, you know, they track the fantasy football fans and all that. So, you know, the deflating of the footballs a little bit and just getting them a little more quarterback friendly, they've seemingly been okay with up until now when two guys that, you know, have a little bit of power see someone that they don't like using it too. Up now, all of a sudden, we better crack down, just like with Spygate. Spygate was a league-wide issue, and actually, Jeff, it, it just blows my mind that no one talks about this. The original Spygate was in 2006 with the Jets. The Patriots yeah. turned them in, and then the memo went out in the offseason to every team about, you know, you guys better stop this. And Eric Mangini, 
because he had just left New England and he was now in the same division and wanted to show Belichick, I'm not backing down, figured he would go tit for tat and turn the Patriots in for doing the same thing. And who knows how many teams were still doing, you know, Spygate at the time, an issue not of filming, but of filming from too close to the field. You know, you can, yeah. you can go to a game and you can watch the signals on the sidelines all you want. Sometimes on TV, they're even shown. So the issue was where they were being filmed from. But of course, Mike Kenzel, who was there when Belichick spurned the Jets, whose father worked for the Jets, Dave Gardy, I don't know if he was in position of power at the time back in 07, but another guy whose dad was a Jets assistant coach, who's obviously got ties to the organization. You know, they used their positions of power to blow Spygate out of the water. And just like they did with Deflategate, Jeff, they controlled the public's initial reaction to the story. And just like with Deflategate, although you see the tide turning here, it never did turn with Spygate. No, it never did turn with Spygate. But when I look at this Deflategate, and you know, you said that you believe that Tom Brady had something to do with the footballs being tampered. I really don't think they touched the footballs. I, I, I don't. I, I, you know, could be the ultimate homer. But everything that I've read here and the fact that, you know, 11 or 12 footballs for the Patriots were, you know, deflated to underneath the uh, the NFL 12.5 PSI. And then the three of, of the four Colts footballs were deflated. Well, I look at it as, you know, where's Andrew Luck's fine? You know, if their balls were deflated to under 12.5, where's his fine? You know, this is the equivalent of me coming in, putting $100 cash on the table between – you know, Bobby, you and, and and Joe Blow from Idaho, right? Mm -hmm. And walking in and seeing my $100 gone and saying, Bobby, I know you took my money. I know you took my money. I know. And not even asking Joe Blow from Idaho if he took my took my money just at you because you're on top. And, you know, and, and that's that's where I'm at with it. And, yeah, that's a great analogy for how the situation has played out for me, Jeff. Even though there's very little – in the transcripts that have been released and all the information that's been made public to show, and even the science backs Tom Brady, shows that it's plausible that this was just something that happened naturally. The, the two bugaboos for me are, one, the fact that, you know, for all the information Brady did turn over to Ted Wells and to the NFL, there were three messages that, you know, they did not that they hit, that they hid and basically withheld and made sure didn't get back to Wells in the NFL. So that's a bit sketchy. And you know there probably is minimal to no, you know, uh, paper trail of Brady communicating about this subject with Jastrzemski. They you know, the smart thing to do would be to just communicate about it in person, face to face, not through any electronic device where it could one day come out and be discovered, especially, you know, if they were to get caught like this. So I think most of the discussion about this took place face-to-face -face where there's no record of it. And then also, I just, you know, I just feel like when you hear the other quarterbacks talk about how, yeah, this is a league-wide issue. This is no big deal. It's commonplace. Jeff Blake said, I used to do it plenty of times when I was a backup quarterback. It just gives that much more weight to the fact that this issue exists, and I could certainly see the Patriots doing this, just like I could certainly see many teams doing this. Like I said earlier, 
it doesn't sound like it's isolated to the Patriots. It sounds like if you listen to a couple of these former players and quarterbacks, something that is a league-wide issue. And for that, until we learn more, is the end of talking about Deflategate Amen. on Patriots Beat. Training camp started last Thursday. I had the good fortune of taking my children down. Uh, for the first time, my sons Connolly and Sagan got to go down and see their New England Patriots, my New England Patriots, and your New England Patriots practice. A phenomenal time um, was had by all there, packed beyond belief, um, just unbelievable. Brady was surgical. Julian Edelman, although he's uh, gipping around with an ankle injury right now, uh, he was unbelievable. Aaron Dobson, I've talked about him a ton, saying that I think he can get up there. I think he can get up there. I think he can finally you know, become what he was, even though he caught 37 passes his rookie year. He looked great, uh, and he's had some spectacular plays. He did have a fumble, uh, which sent the offense for a lap. But I'm excited about what we're seeing here for this team. I'm excited about what we're seeing on the offensive line with Shaq Mason playing left guard and Trey Jackson playing right guard, uh, you know, flanking Brian Stork, who we all know I have a man crush on. I think this team, this offense, could do some wonderful things. I'm really excited about this offense. They returned a lot of their weapons, you know, from Edelman, Amendola's back, Gronk. So hopefully he's healthy because we know how important he is to this team's Super Bowl hopes. There's just there's so much talent there. And you talk about Dobson, who you're quickly becoming the president of his fan club, Jeff. Yep. I've been for years. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that he brings that they now have that they haven't always is depth and especially depth at skill positions like wide receiver. You know, running back by committee, we don't know who's going to ultimately end up on this team and how those reps are going to be divvied up. You know, it seems like Blount is the lead back, and James White is my prediction to be the primary choice for a third down back, but there's a lot to be, a lot yet to be seen, and there's also plenty to work with within that group. So the depth they have at the skill positions, they have more depth, presumably, along the offensive line this year than they did a year ago. You know, we saw the issues when guys like Connolly would go out and Josh Klein had to step in. So it's a really good situation for them offensively with a lot of talent and quality depth. You know, it's it's awfully funny how much a year can change because you did just say that there's big depth here on the offensive line, and there is. Uh, of course, I mentioned the two rookies. You know, there's Marcus Cannon who's backing up uh, Nate Soldier and Sebastian Vollmer, and last year's fourth-round draft pick uh, Cameron Fleming. These are this is some a depth position. They've restocked this offensive line, and I look at the irony uh, in the fact that Aaron Dobson right now is seizing all his opportunities because Brandon LaFell is on the pup list. It was last year, and the last Patriots beat that we just had, where I talked about how Aaron Dobson was on the pup list, and that allowed uh, Brandon LaFell to really gain trust with Tom Brady. And I thought that Dobson was taken off the pup list too early. So here you have a, a year later, and you have this third-year wide receiver who his first year, he did catch over 500 yards in, catch, in receiving yards. He's growing. He's learning. It's his third year in the system. Uh, that's when wide receivers really take off. Now, am I saying that Aaron Dobson is going to catch 85 balls for 15 touchdowns and 1,100 yards? No, but you know what? I could see him catching 40 to 45 balls 
as that deep threat, as that intermediate threat. As I was saying, as I said many times on this program before, he was starting to really come along, especially those games against Miami and Pittsburgh uh, in the 2013 season before he hurt his foot. He was starting to get more confidence. He wasn't dropping the ball as much. Of course, he was called Aaron Dropson uh, to begin things. He was starting to run more crisp routes. Uh, I'm very excited on what's going to happen with him being healthy. He trained uh, in the offseason in Arizona. So lots of good things for Aaron Dobson. And you know what? Lots of good things for this team being having a nice young nucleus. Yeah, and strictly speaking about this year with Dobson, he has the potential to be a quality fourth receiver for them. He's Brandon LaFell's backup and an insurance policy on that front. And he also represents an alternative to Danny, Danny Amendola when they bring three wide receivers into the game. And Jeff, you talk about young, you talk about depth and you know young talent. The Patriots have done a very nice job of positioning themselves to compete well into the future. A lot of that rides on you know how long Brady's here and what Garoppolo looks like when he ultimately becomes the guy, but. You know, across the board, there's a lot of young talent on this team now. You talked about Brian Stork. Edelman is fairly young. Gronk is fairly young. This is just looking at offense. James White is getting his first chance to get quality reps this season. There, That's just looking at the offense. Defensively loaded with young talent. That's really where you see it. The likes of Collins and Hightower and Chandler Jones. There's just so many names. We'll see what becomes of Malcolm Brown and Dominique Easley. There's just so many names they've brought in. A lot of them have delivered. A lot of them are, you know, really young guys just starting, like the two defensive tackles just mentioned, one being a rookie in Brown, the other entering his second year in Dominique Easley. It's really exciting to see the young talent across the board, and especially defensively, Jeff. Oh, exactly. I mean, you talk about a guy like Jamie Collins. Uh, Rob Gronkowski called him a freak an absolute freak, and he looks that way. He looks unbelievable, and one of the things that I want to bring up about this team, uh, you know, we've talked about this front seven and, you know, the young players in Chandler Jones and the, and the rookies here um, with, uh, with Malcolm Brown and, uh, of course, Dominic Easley, last year's rookie, who basically redshirted last year uh, to go along with Jabal Sheard. But the thing that I'm excited about is the fact that Neither Dante Hightower or Gerard Mayo started the uh, preseason or training camp on the pup list. Both were out there. Now, Hightower is in a red non-contact jersey, but still, he's out there getting valuable reps with his team. Yeah, Hightower seems to be ahead of schedule, which is great news. Mayo's out there, which is very encouraging to see. And those are the big three. There's there's different creative ways they can provide linebacker depth. And they can certainly go with two linebackers in appropriate situations during the season. But they're, they're going to need all three of those guys this season. They didn't last year based on, like I just said, matchups. You know, this is a team that goes week to week with the game plan. And it happened to work out that way with the schedule. But this year, they're going to need all three guys to stay healthy. Losing Brandon Spikes, say what you want about him. That was a big blow to this team's depth at linebacker. So they have creative ways. They can bring Sheard over. You know, they can bring a safety down and whatever. But they're really going to need all three, Collins, Mayo, and Hightower, to stay healthy. 
Oh, they definitely will. And if they stay healthy, you have a great nucleus of young players, you know, that are doing pretty well. I mean, Hightower going into his fourth year, Collins into his uh, third year, and then the old man, Gerard Mayo. It's hard to believe he's the old man now. I mean, he's 29 years old, but that is the old man in uh, in football. If he can be healthy uh, and playing that middle linebacker role with the, with having um, Collins and Hightower flanking him, it could be very, very exciting. I'm excited to see what happens. Also very excited about this year's rookie in Malcolm Brown. As I mentioned earlier, he's getting some first-team reps uh, he's splitting them with uh, Silva Salinga uh, when I was down there. Of course, Dominic Easley was held out the first couple days of camp uh, on the pop list, but he's now back, ready to go. be interesting to see if his explosion gets back. What we saw when he was number two uh, at Florida State really getting, I'm sorry, Florida really getting after the quarterback. If they can get up through that A-gap with Brown and uh, and Dominic Easley, it's going to make... Uh, it's going to make things a lot easier on Malcolm Butler, last year's Super Bowl hero. And right now, it looks like Terrell Brown, the guy who was brought in from the uh, uh, San Francisco 49ers and the um, Oakland Raiders, I think was the last team that yep. he played for, is uh, is starting to look like uh, he could be a starter on the uh, other cornerback. Terrell Brown has really impressed. Terrell Brown, yes. Really impressed in training camp. One of the things he's talked about is having more trust in his foot coming off an injury. You know, it's believed. The Patriots showed they had interest in him for a while, and he did talk with some other teams, but ultimately decided this was the best place for him. Just had to take that time to really make sure that he was right and ready to go. And so far, he's showing that he absolutely is. He's, you know, right now, it seems like Butler and Brown, like you said, Jeff, are the number one and number two corners, respectively. Another one that's really impressed, you can tell me what you thought of him when you were there on Friday, is Robert McLean. Looked pretty good. Um, you know, I didn't get a whole lot of time with a three-year-old and a and an almost five-year-old <laughs> to, to really dig down deep like I normally do when I go to head on a training swivel. camp. <laughs> yeah, head on a swivel. Uh, it was tough. We had a good time down there. Uh, but he looked pretty good. Uh, and it, but it was hard to tell, you know, I mean, especially when they're in shorts and shoulder pads, which was the dress code uh, last Friday. Uh, it, it's hard to tell uh, exactly what's going on. Um, one of the things that I was impressed with uh, during the game, uh, during the uh, uh, practice is they were running, they were running a uh, hurry up against air. And of course, against air uh, basically means there's no one defending them, but they're running hurry up down the field. Um, and, James White was the running back out there, and it was uh, Edelman. Uh, yeah, excuse me, Edelman and uh, Aaron Dobson, uh, you know, on the outside, and Rob Gronkowski and Scott Chandler on the inside, and it looked pretty impressive. That that could be a very tough thing to stop. Also, Tavares Cadet, uh, you know, a guy that I've kind of said, eh, you know, what's he going to be? Uh, there's a spot for him on this team. What it's going to be, I I don't know, but he can play. And another guy who impressed me uh, when I was down there was Josh Boyce. Now, this is a guy that was cut at the end of last season, uh, at last preseason, spent time on the practice squad, uh, signed a futures contract back in December, fourth-round draft pick out of TCU the same year as uh, Aaron Dobson was picked in the second round. This is a guy who, you know, is, is fighting for a, a roster spot. There's going to be a lot of decisions made uh, when that c- cut down to 53 comes, and there are going to be a lot of good players that are cut. Oh, absolutely. You know, we talk about the depth, and that comes with the territory, that there's going to be some pl- some players who look good in the preseason, who look good in training camp, that don't make this team. You know, you talk about with Boyce, 
it's an uphill battle for him because Definitely he, is. You know, he's behind Edelman and Amendola on the depth chart. And even if they go with five wide receivers, that by no means ensures him a slot because he's fighting with Brandon Gibson for that position. And I expect Gibson being a veteran, Jeff, to look good in the preseason. Well, one of the things I saw with Gibson um, that really showed up is he knew where to be. And that comes with knowing this offense. Of course, he had one season uh, back in 2011 with Josh McDaniels as his offensive coordinator uh, with the St. Louis Rams. He knows where to be. This is a, the veteran here who's caught over 240 balls in his career. Um, I've heard people say he's looked good. I've heard people say he looks didn't look so great. Um, you know, he hasn't run with the ones yet, but he did make some uh, show me plays that that really showed up there uh, to me. I thought that there were some really nice things that that showed up. Yeah, I think we'll take more note of Gibson during preseason once the games actually get started. Also, Jeff, a Fascinating concept to me, one that I'm pretty excited to see how it plays out. We'll get our first taste of it in the preseason. Is For those of you who like to make your 53-man rosters at home, project the depth charts and all that, for defensive linemen, group it more like that than focusing on specifics of is he a defensive end or a defensive tackle. You know, Even today at practice, they had a lot of guys who you might be inclined to label a defensive end, working on the interior. Gino Grissom is an example of that. Trey Flowers is a guy who they can move around. Zach Moore certainly is with his size, an impressive physical specimen. You know, maybe Dominique Easley. We saw him play at the end of the line at times last year as well when he was healthy. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they use this group of versatile defensive linemen. Uh, it'll be very interesting. You know, we remember back uh, in 2007 with the uh, the Giants who ended up beating the Patriots in the Super Bowl, uh, what they were able to do with guys like Michael Strahan and JPP and J- uh, Justin Tuck, you know, getting smaller uh, defense alignment on the field and getting that NASCAR package. Uh, during his rookie season and his second season, we saw Chandler Jones move into that rush defensive tackle uh, positions so really could move anywhere as Mike Reese from ESPN Boston likes to always do it you have the interior big guys and then then you have the ed, end of the line rushers uh, you know guys like Jabal Sheard guys like Chandler Jones guys like Dante Howard Hightower who can either stand up or put their uh, hand in the ground uh, and, and go from there so lots of uh, lots of repetition lots of lots of competition is what I mean to say there between uh, all these players for the Patriots and 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 what they do and and you you mentioned uh, Grissom and, and Trey Flowers uh, you know and even a guy like Jake Beckett who's who splits some time between tight end uh, and a little bit of defensive end uh, it'll be interesting to see where all these guys fit in and exactly how much playing time they will get Next week, when the Patriots take on the Green Bay Packers in the first opening of the uh, uh, of the preseason. And Jeff, you mentioned Jake Beckett. I believe it was Sam Pericolo of our Patriots beat group who mentioned in the message boards when we were talking about the tight end position, I believe it was him at least, who said it is noteworthy that Beckett has outlasted the likes of Red Davis. And I know it was because he was injured, but Trey Derby goes now. He's back on IR to be out this season, it is notable that he's still kicking around and some of the names at tight end depth chart are starting to come off the list. Oh, exactly. It's unreal that he's still sitting around. Of course, I had big hopes for A.J. Derby. Um, our friend Mike Loiko, after the uh, draft, 
uh, said he thought he was one of the best tight ends in the draft. Um, you know, he was injured uh, and he was cleared, he cleared waivers and was placed on injured reserve. Uh, very happy that he did clear waivers. As we've seen the Patriots, uh, you know, pick mm-hmm. up uh, injured players in the past. Uh, Tyler Gaffney uh, last year from the uh, from the uh, Carolina Panthers. And, and of course, the tight end whose name escapes me right now from the Giants. Uh, he didn't do much when he came back. Um, but it's something that the Patriots do. I'm surprised no one grabbed one of the Patriots players. Um, be very interesting because back in spring practice, this looked like something that was going to be a very deep and talented group. Now, right now, it's it's talented. Rob Gronkowski and Scott Chandler are very good tight ends. You know, you can take uh, Hooman in a spot. I'm not a huge fan of Hooman, but this is the type of uh, uh, a nice depth chart here for the for the Patriots. You can put uh, James Devlin there. So a lot of decisions to be made. I can't wait. I can't believe football season is finally here. You know, we're a mere seven days away from the first game. This is this is unbelievable. It feels like just yesterday uh, we were all jumping up and down uh, with the interception by Malcolm Butler, who is actually having a very good camp. Time flies. You know, the next 27 weeks, there's going to be football on Sundays. Praise God. Hallelujah. And, you know, that was the same reaction we all had when Malcolm Butler came away with that interception. And what's great to see, again, you know, like we've mentioned throughout the program, it's early. It's only the first several practices of training camp. But it is great to see the confidence that Malcolm Butler seems to have going into his second camp where people are looking for him to be the guy. And, you know, he's chirping with Julian Edelman and Tom Brady, not backing down, holding his own. He's showing a lot of people who watched this team consistently like to point out, listen, Butler wasn't just a one-play wonder by you know the amount of judging by the amount of playing time that he got last season against Denver he played well against Emmanuel Sanders he looked good in garbage time against Chicago he got a lot of reps and made the most of them making plays had a few pass deflections he showed that you know he might not be just a one-hit wonder his his ball skills his closing speed it's all been on display his fluidity it's all been on display early here to start training camp very encouraging signs Extremely encouraging signs. A lot of good young depth, as you said. And, and it was one thing that I actually kind of chuckled to myself when you said when Jimmy Garoppolo comes in and takes care of the team. Well, according to Tom Brady's private emails, he really does believe he's going to play another seven to eight years. He believes that he's got the training, the eating habits where, you know, he's not even eating ice cream. He's having avocado ice cream. Exactly. Baby. It's he's amazing. having that healthy substitute. He believes he's got the science down. And look, the one thing I will say in Tom Brady, you know, giving credit to Tom Brady in this discussion about his longevity, last year, in certain aspects that most players decline in, like mobility, he actually got better. Tom Brady was better with his feet last year and better at maneuvering outside of the pocket, making plays with his legs than he's ever been in his career. Oh, definitely. You know, one thing I, I always remember, um, you know, when I was growing up, Dan Marino was the standard bearer as quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, you know, he only got to one Super Bowl. But Marino, he was the slowest man on the planet. But he had that sixth sense where he could move around in the pocket, you know, move his feet, shuffle, you know, three inches to his left, 
drop his arm, you know, just as you thought something was going to be strip-sacked out. Tom Brady is starting to master that, and he's worked unbelievable on his footwork. You know, the Patriots do a great thing every time the Patriots win a Super Bowl, uh, where they come out with the Three Games to Glory DVDs, and, and I always watch them, you know, after the first one, I got it after the second one, third Super Bowl, and, and so on. I watch these uh, these things. So the other night, uh, I was watching, had nothing much better to do, so I, I threw in Three Games to Glory 2. And I'm watching Tom Brady in 2003 versus Tom Brady in 2015. And the footwork is so much better. So much better. It's unbelievable how much better that footwork is. Uh, he really looked like uh, like he was in cement back in 2003. Yeah, and it's one of those things where his pocket presence over the years has become something that he's mastered. And it's been really important for him to improve this ability, like we're talking about right now, to make plays outside of the pocket. That's not necessarily mean meaning scrambling, although he has done it from time to time. You know, sometimes he takes a hit like he did in that Dolphins game where he tried to lower his shoulder and it didn't work out for him, ended up on his backside out of bounds. But his ability to, you know, the offensive line, the turmoil they were going through last year, and he was taking some real hits getting crushed at some points, but his ability to, you know, just scramble outside and make plays outside of the pocket now to marry that with his pocket presence has been really impressive that he's able to do that at his age. Golf's final major starts next week and DraftKings is celebrating by giving away $3.3 million in prizes and crowning this year's last fantasy golf millionaire. DraftKings.com is America's favorite one-week fantasy golf site where you could win huge prizes every tournament. Just pick six golfers, pile up the points, and pick up your cash. Anyone can do this. Whether you love the game or just want to try a new fantasy sport, you've never experienced golf like this. With every long drive and made putt bringing you close to a million dollar payday, sports fans just like you have been winning big all year long at DraftKings, including the first three fantasy golf millionaires. You could be next. The event begins with the tournament, so choose your golfers before next Thursday's tee-off for your last crack at winning a million dollars playing fantasy golf at DraftKings this year. Hurry to DraftKings.com now and use the promo code NEWENGLAND to play for free for a shot to become a millionaire. Enter New England now at DraftKings.com. DraftKings.com. That's DraftKings.com. Well, don't forget to hop on with our sponsor, DraftKings. Let's get back to the Patriots talk here as we are a mere week away from the Patriots versus the Green Bay Packers at Gillette Stadium as the New England Patriots begin the 2015 season and their title defense, and I believe that they're going to get back, and they are going to win back-to-back championships. I believe it's going to happen. I feel it's going to happen. Even if Tom Brady is not exonerated and he has to suspend those first four games, I believe that they are going to win. I believe that they will build a offense around Jimmy Garoppolo the same way they built an offense around Matt Castle. And part of that is the running back position. We touched on it very briefly earlier, but this is a, a group that has a lot of very movable parts. They have the big backs in LeGarrette Blount and 
uh, Jonas Gray, who I always forget because, you know, Jonas Gray, in my eyes, had one game. Although Sam Pericolo, our, our esteemed colleague, loves Jonas Gray and says that he's better than Blount, and maybe he is. From there, you have Tyler Gaffney, who's showed a little bit in camp. You have, and I hate to say it, Brandon Bolden. Uh, he's he's decent. Um, killing you right now. Uh, it is killing me, but he's a great special teams player. And then you have the third down back. Now, Brandon Bolden has done it in the past. James White, as I said, when I was down there, he was running with the ones. He looked really good catching the ball out of the backfield. Tavares Cadet, also someone who looks very good catching the ball. The one thing that I was talking and tweeting back and forth with WEEI's Chris Price the other night um, was what's going to happen when they have to pass block. Because the Patriots have been so, so lucky uh, going back to Kevin Falk and J.R. Redmond uh, and and then Danny Woodhead, Sammy Morris, uh, and then Shane Vereen, guys that could chip block and give Tom Brady that extra second before they dropped out into their route. Can James White and Travis Cadet and even to a, a, another degree, Brandon uh, Bolden be able to do that? And the reality is that you know, with Bolden, he has experience at it. With James White, with Cadet, even with Bolden, it's next to impossible to tell. The time to judge them as pass blockers is not training camp because you can't hit the quarterback. It's your teammates. It's just not the same conditions as when you're playing in a game, lining up against another team with guys who are looking to take the quarterback's head off. So that's really, you know, the preseason is when you can really give them an honest evaluation in that capacity as pass blockers. And look, that's going to go a long ways. It's going to play a significant role in deciding how those third down reps are divvied up and who makes this team. You know, I consider James White to be a lock to make the team. I'd be shocked if he gets cut. But if he proves, you know, if he struggles as a blocker in protection, then yeah. He's going to lose some third down reps this season. Oh, he definitely will. And that's so important because, you know, people think that, oh, they need a pass catcher out there. And Shane Vereen caught over 40 balls. And Kevin Falk caught over 40 balls. And Danny Woodhead, what he could do, all of them, you know, were very good at pass protection. Even if it's just that little chip. I mean, Kevin Falk was probably the best third down back of his generation. Um, you know, I've seen a couple third down backs in, in New England, a lot of them. But the best two that I remember are Dave Meggett and Kevin Falk. And they both were unbelievable at that chip block. Uh, you know, Meggett was five foot seven and, and Falk was five foot eight, 205 pounds. But Falk got in there and got low, used his leverage to block. Uh, same could be said about Danny Woodhead. I uh, used his leverage to block, and, and Shane Vereen got much better at it as, as the years went on. I'm looking to see, you know, next week. I'm, that's one of the things I'm going to be looking at. You know, so many people sit there and say, oh, it's just preseason football. This is horrible. I get up for it because I look at this sort of stuff. I look, all right, you know, is he, is he got, does he have his blocking assignment down right? Is the check with me, so they work right? Is he, you know, when there's an audible – uh, and, and he's got to protect the quarterback's blind side, um, you know, on 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 a guard there or a tackle that gets in. You know, that's the type of thing that I look at. 
And I want to see these guys step up, not only just how they can catch the ball out of the backfield or run between the tackles or use their speed. I want to see them take on the 250-pound linebackers and see how they do. Jeff, we're football junkies. We love this stuff. We love seeing the X's and O's. I can remember last year during Patriots beat, during the preseason, talking about the specifics and the analytics of why Brandon Browner would not be a good safety when that discussion was going on. Oh, yes. Yeah, we love this stuff. We love breaking down the ins and outs and just evaluating the roster as a whole. Who's going to make this team? What might his role be during the regular season? And listen, if that's not your cup of tea, that's okay. Tune into Patriots Beat, and we'll present it to you in an entertaining fashion like we always do. We'll give you the rundown and what you need to know so that way you can just watch and enjoy the game or don't even watch. Just take our word for it. Yeah, we know everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, usually our guests know everything. That's right. Uh, we'll be getting some some great guests on soon enough. Uh, the booking agent is making the phone calls, so it'll be great uh, as we get things closer to uh, the beginning of the Patriots season. Uh, you know, it's funny we talk about last year and 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 you know this team going forward. And we remember the rookie class from last year. Really, Dominic Easley. Um, was, I'm not going to call him a waste of pick. He redshirted. He's coming back this year. If he's healthy, he should be a very good player. Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, that pick might be great if Brady is suspended and upheld for the first four games. Uh, you know, and, th- and then you get moving, and you saw Brian Stork, when he was in, inserted in the lineup last year, was unbelievable. And Cameron Fleming was also very good. But then you have James White, you know, who... Uh, didn't get much of more than, I think, four or five games last year. I think he had five carries or nine carries for 38 yards off the top of my head. Yeah, those are the exact numbers. Nine carries, 38 yards, Jeff. You know your running backs. Uh, You know how much I love my running backs. But you look at this year's draft class, and and we got some guys who pretty much are going to play. Kind of crazy coming back with a Super Bowl champion who legitimately could have their first-round draft pick uh, in Malcolm Brown playing a significant amount of time. Their second-round draft pick, who many people thought was a reach, uh, in Jordan Richards, according to Chris Price from WEI, has looked very good and has been running with the ones a lot at that strong safety position. This is a position where, you know, on first and second down, you might see a uh, a Patrick Chung come in there, but in passing situations, you might see Jordan Richards come out and, and play well. He's, he's got experience at both cornerback and safety. The Patriots like those athletic safeties, so you could see that. And then you look at the two uh, guards that he took in Trey Jackson and Shaq Mason. Both are getting first-team reps. Now, of course, Ryan Wendell being on the pop list is helping them there, but both are getting first-team reps. And this is the one thing, and I want to get your um, – your thoughts on this, Bobby, because I look at um, I look at Shaq Mason and Trey Jackson, and we talked about it before on Patriots Beat here on CLNS Radio, about the fact that neither one of them had played left guard. And I thought that it would be Trey Jackson playing left guard uh, as he came out of the more of the pro-style offense, and I thought Shaq Mason would be playing right guard because at Georgia Tech, he was a power right guard. And I thought sitting him next to... Um, Sebastian Vollmer and having Shaq Mason huge, uh, you know, he's only six foot, but he's got 300 and something pounds on him. Powerful, powerful running side. I thought that's what they they would do. 
But then again, there's a reason I sit on the couch on Sundays and drink beer and Bill Belichick coaches football. It's because he's got those guys flip-flopped. I'd like to hear your assessment of that. Yeah, I'm with you, Jeff. That certainly surprised me. I thought the continuity of Stork and Jackson having both played together at Florida State, I thought the fact that Jackson, like you said, is bigger than Mason, who Jackson's 6'3", Mason's 6'1", I thought that made more sense to put Jackson next to Stork, plug him in as Dan Connolly's replacement on the left side. Hasn't looked that way so far in camp. Now, who knows? That could just be Bill Belichick getting these guys reps in those spots early. Maybe it is how things will play out. You know, we'll have to wait and see. Time will tell. But it certainly is noteworthy that Shaq Mason, who comes from Georgia Tech in the triple option, much more used to run protection than pass protection, is over there on the left side. And Jackson's been working in taking Wendell's reps while he's out for now on the right side of the line. Now, how much is is this? Because I have two theories for this. Number one is that Shaq Mason is going to be more of that swing guard this year. When Ryan Wendell comes back, Wendell will step in, being the veteran, play left guard, and, and go from there. My other conspiracy theory, if you want to call it that, is you're right. Shaq Mason comes from that triple option uh, offense. How much of it is that the left guard needs to learn how to pass block uh, much better than Shaq Mason knows how to pass block right now. So how much of it is, you think, Bill Belichick and Googe and Josh McDaniels putting this kid in a position where he has to learn trial by fire, playing that left guard position, protecting Tom Brady's blind side on passing downs? Yeah, I think that's certainly part of this, you know, regardless of whether or not he's going to be the starting left guard come the regular season, or like you and I both believe, be a swing guard, he's going to have to work both sides of the interior. And so he's going to have to improve his pass protection skills. Why not throw him into the fire right away? So it's going to be interesting to see how he looks in the preseason, how his reps are divided. Is he lining up on both sides of the interior? It's going to be very interesting to see how Jackson and Mason progress moving forward and where they're lined up at. Great offensive line talk here on CLNS Radio's Patriots Beat. You can, of course, follow the podcast online uh, by going to twitter.com slash Patriots Beat. We are at Patriots Beat or on Facebook, www.facebook.com slash Patriots Beat. Of course, you can always follow our wonderful sponsors like Peak Brewing. Go have a beer, www.peakbrewing.com and lynda.com. Go out and learn something today. L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash C-L-N-S for your free 10-day trial. Talking all things Patriots here on Patriots Beat. We just had a riveting discussion about the offensive line. You can tell that Bobby and I are ready for the Patriots season to kick some ass because we're talking offensive line, and you know what? We're both enjoying it. Let's flip-flop a little bit here back to the defensive side of the ball uh, because we talked earlier about those three linebackers uh, out there in Collins, Mayo, and Hightower, and how especially important it is that Mayo and Hightower did not start the season on the physically unable to perform list. Unfortunately, Dane Fletcher has. So, Bobby, who do you think steps up and is that next uh, man up, as they would say, at the linebacker position? Jeff, this is a really tough question. There's an intriguing battle, to me at least, going on for those depth spots at linebacker. Jonathan Freeney has had some quality moments here to start camp. 
James Morris is a guy recovering from injury who the Patriots like and is, you know, certainly a candidate. Then you've got Matt Wells, the draft pick, who is not just a special teamer, but also good in pass coverage. You, you bring Dane Fletcher back. It's going to be very interesting to see Darius Fleming, who's more of a pass rusher than anything else. And, Jeff, they can also get creative, whether it's just going with two linebackers, whether it's bringing Sheard, you know, taking him off the end of the line and bringing him as a pass rusher at that strong side linebacker position. They can bring a safety down, someone like Jordan Richards with his size. It's very interesting to see how this all plays out and how many spots they give to genuine linebackers. It'll be interesting. And again, as I brought up earlier in the program, how Mike Reese likes to talk about the end of the line players. Uh, these are guys like Rob Ninkovich, who has spent time standing up in his career. Uh, guys like Chandler Jones, who last year have stood up in their career. Jabal Sheard, who's having a very nice start to his camp. Um, he was a Patriots, and he came out saying he felt like he'd been with the Patriots forever. Um, you know, a guy that has stood up in a 3-4 defense and as well as having his hand in the dirt in a 4-3 uh, even man front. So it'll be very, very interesting to see how this defense uh, continues to move along and how this front seven is going to attack. And, and that's on because the Patriots have never really been an attacking defense. Um, you know, under Bill Belichick. I think the last time they were really attacking is when, well, recently Hall of Fame uh, Patriot Willie McGinnis was getting after the quarterback. Four and a half sacks in a game against the Jacksonville Jaguars in the playoffs. The all-time uh, sack leader in NFL playoff history, Willie McGinnis. Could we see the Patriots getting back after the quarterback like they have in the past with Willie McGinnis and like Bill Belichick did uh, in his first stint as defensive coordinator of the uh, New York Giants with Lawrence Taylor. Yeah, and look, there was a long stretch here of playing 3-4 with the big, slow defensive tackles, taking up space, trying to allow the linebackers to get free and make plays. And then they recognized the change that was going on around the league. And you can see it. You know, We talked about the versatility of the defensive linemen they have including the guys they drafted, like a Grissom, like a Trey Flowers, where they're now looking for guys that are a little quicker, a little more athletic, more versatile. And that way, you talked about the NASCAR uh, package, they can bring pressure up the middle, help out that secondary by generating pressure from the outside as well, of course. You know, Dante Hightower is a guy who you might see blitz more this season than he did last year as his responsibilities change and he moves to strong side linebacker with Mayo back in the middle. It's going to be very interesting to see how this defense looks, but I do agree, Jeff, that they're going to try and put more pressure on the quarterback, try and uh, help thing, help the secondary out in that regard. I think that's one of the ways that they are definitely going to help the secondary out so that they don't have to cover as well. Now, Malcolm Butler uh, has had a very good start to, the, uh, to camp. He picked Tom Brady off the other day, which uh, – you know, can Tom Brady can get picked off. His no first way. interception. Of camp. <laughs> uh, you know, he steps up right where uh, right where he left off, picking off a uh, a Super Bowl uh, quarterback. So um, I'm excited to see what Malcolm Butler can bring. We already talked about Brown on the opposite side. Um, Logan Ryan, to me, I think it's a guy who he might have a very good shot to take over Kyle Arrington's spot as that nickel cornerback. 
Yeah, I think Ryan is in the mix. I think McLean is in the mix. He's a guy that's shown his versatility playing inside and out. You know, just ask Brian Timms. He's also proven that he can thump. He's not the biggest guy, but he'll hit you. Daryl Roberts, um, I would say inconsistent, but certainly has flashed at times here to start training camp. I think he's going to ultimately make this team. That's way too early of a prediction, but it's just what I believe. We'll see how he progresses as camp moves forward and how the preseason looks. One guy who it was talked about for a while leading up to training camp, could he be your number two, Bradley Fletcher? He looks right now to start training camp like he's behind the eight ball. He might not even make this roster. Yeah, I know. It's It'll be interesting because this is a guy who two years ago was was getting ready to be paid like an all-pro cornerback. And he may or may not make this, this roster. Had some issues last year, especially against Des Bryant, who the Patriots play in uh, their fourth game of the season. So... We'll see what happens with Bradley Fletcher. A couple years ago, he was a solid cornerback. Uh, maybe it's a confidence issue with him. Yeah, I'm not sure what it is. You might be right. It might be more mental than anything else. There was the hope that a change of scenery will do him some good. It's too early to rule either way definitively. But right now, it's not a good start for Bradley Fletcher. If he's going to make this team, he's going to have to turn it around. Well, exactly. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening to Patriots Beat again here on the CLNS Radio Network. I am Jeff Kane for Bobby Kravitzky. We, of course, lost a good friend of ours, Kate Moss, from CLNS Radio and at Race Talk Live with Kate Moss. Uh, she passed away earlier this week way, way too young. We'll let Kate take it out. Thank you, everyone, and Rest in peace, Kate. And I do have to let you know um, that I'm very thankful that you have tuned in. We have reached over, well over 1 million listens here at CLNS Radio and uh, Race Talk Live as well. Don't forget the easiest way to tune in to a free mobile app that we have right now for iTunes and Android. And speaking of free apps, today's episode, once again, powered by lynda.com. That's L-Y-N-D-A.com. She has an easy way there to navigate home on the web, or you could try out some amazing apps that she has free membership for CLNS listeners. So go to lynda.com to sign up. That's L-Y-N-D-A. Thanks so much for Linda for uh, sponsoring us here at CLNS Radio. And thanks as well again to you for listening to us. Another turning point A fork stuck in the road Time grabs you by the rest Directs you where to go So make the best of this test And don't ask why It's not a question But a lesson learned in time it's something unpredictable, but in the end is right. I hope you had the time of your life. So take the photographs and still friends in your mind. Hanging on a shelf in good health and good time. Tattoos and memories. Skin on trial For what it's worth It was worth all the while It's something unpredictable But in the end is right I hope you had the time of your life
something unpredictable But in the end it's right I hope you had the time of your life It's something unpredictable But in the end it's right I hope you had the time of your life